Alrighty, turn in your Bibles to uh, the Gospel of John, and we're going to be going over the seven sayings that Jesus said on the cross. We covered two of them last week on Resurrection Sunday, and uh, so we're going to be in John 19 for just a little bit, and then we'll be going over to the Psalms here shortly. So be ready to go to Psalm 22 as well. So last week we were talking about Jesus Christ being on the cross and how in extreme agony and pain all the sin of the world placed on him and the first thing that he says is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. No one would ever dream that anybody would be able to have that kind of heart going through that much agony on the cross. Now, in John, you don't see that saying. The second thing that uh, the Lord said on the cross was to the thief, the repentant thief, and you don't see that here in John, but you only see it in Luke, and you only see in Luke where there was a repentant thief. The other Gospels don't share it. But the second thing that we talked about at the end of last week's sermon was Jesus saying to that thief, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now, the third thing that Jesus says from the cross is right here in John. Starting with 1925, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, now this is the Gospel of John, but John doesn't like naming himself. But he does make sure that we understand that Jesus loved him very much. Can we say the same thing? Can we walk around and say that Jesus loves me? This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that disciple that Jesus loved was standing there, and saith unto his mother, Woman, I don't think Jesus ever referred to his mother as mother. Remember when he was getting ready to perform his first miracle? He said, uh, called her woman. She was wanting him to start doing things. Why is that? Why would Jesus not say mother? Could it have anything to do with a certain church organization that would one day honor his mother more than him? Possibly. So he says, woman, behold thy son. He's looking at them, standing there at the, at, under the cross. And then he looks at John, and he says, behold thy mother. So that's the third thing that Jesus has said from the cross. He's, he's nailed to a cross. We're already amazed that he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And now this thief, 
who everybody wants to forget, this thief looks at Jesus and says, Remember me when thou comest into your kingdom. And Jesus could have very well said, I'm in a bad spot right now. I'm really in pain. I got the sin of the whole world. You had plenty of time to come to me before. He had all kinds of excuses that he could have told that thief. But all he could do was turn to him and say, Today you will be with me in paradise. And we talked about how if Jesus could forgive a soul in that position, being nailed to a cross, looking like he was defeated, how much more he can save being risen from the dead. He has conquered the tomb. So now, we see his compassion on his mother. Evidently, his father has passed away. We don't hear anything about his, his uh, earthly father, Joseph, right? After Jesus was 12, when he, they had to go back and find him in the temple because they, Mary said, you, you are, have worried us, your father and me. You've worried us. And he's like, didn't you know that I have to be about my father's business? And then we don't hear anything more about Joseph. Now here we have a woman who is probably a widow, and now she's losing her son, and she is bold enough to be there at the cross. She's there. When most of his disciples, except this one right here, have all ran away, they've left him alone in his moment of most need, and Jesus, in compassion, looks down at his mother and looks at John, Behold thy son, behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. So he was going to take care of her. If Jesus can have that kind of compassion in that condition that he was in at that moment, how much more we should obey that commandment to honor your father and your mother. It's not for children. It's not just for children, but it's for all of us to always honor and respect our father and our mother till the end of their days. Now, the fourth thing that Jesus said from the cross he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What does that mean? How is it that he would say such a thing? Because God the Father cannot look upon sin. He's going to turn his back. Sin is what separates us from the Father. And Jesus willingly allowed all the sin of the world to be placed on him. And knowing that that was going to separate him from the protection of his father. And that's why he hollered out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Fifth thing that Jesus said from the cross is, I thirst. Oh, where do you see, my God, my God, where hast, why hast thou forsaken me? You don't see it here in John. You don't see it in Luke. But you do see it once in Matthew, and once in Mark. And that's the only two, that's the only uh, thing that is said that Jesus said from the cross in Matthew and Mark. I don't think any of these others are, are in those Gospels. So you get three in Luke, and you get three right here in John. 
And then the one is mentioned in Matthew and Mark. So I thirst. That's his agony. If you've ever talked to someone who maybe... Um, I can remember reading the book Lone Survivor by Marcus Luttrell, and he was a Navy SEAL, and all of his comrades were killed in a battle, and he was blown off the side of the mountain by an RPG, and he was wounded pretty bad. He was bleeding, and he talked about trying to get away from them. They were pursuing him, and because of the loss of blood, you start to thirst something terrible. And he, all he could think about was trying to find water. Trying to find water. And by the time he actually found water, his tongue was stuck to the top of his mouth. Well, when we go to Psalm 22, we're going to get more into that. But the agony of not having any water, and you will start to thirst terribly if you're bleeding. The sixth thing, that he said on the cross is, it is finished. It is finished. All right, let's get, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to read uh, 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. So he wanted to make sure scripture was fulfilled, so he said, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now you've got to go to Luke to see what he says. Seventh thing. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Got a few words I want to read to you before we go to Psalm 22. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. That's in Luke 23, 46. These words set before us the last act of the Savior as he expired. It was an act of contentment, of faith, of confidence, and of love. The person to whom he committed the precious treasure of his spirit was his own father. Father is an encouraging and assuring title. Well may a son commit any concern, however dear, into the hands of a father, especially such a son, capital S, into the hands of such a father, capital F, father, that which, was, that which was committed into the hands of the father was his spirit, which was on the point of being separated from the body. Scripture reveals man as a tri-party being, spirit, soul, and body. You know, I've talked about that a lot. You get that out of 1 Thessalonians 5.23. You know, I tell you, know, you, won't, you can't be a human if you're missing any of those three. We're made in the image of God. God is in three persons. If you take Jesus out, many people try to take Jesus out, but God is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. P 
People are fine with Father, they're fine with Holy Ghost, but a lot of people have a problem with Jesus. It starts with, if you're going to say a prayer, just don't say in Jesus' name. Get him out. Get him out. And if you keep diminishing Jesus and keep diminishing him, he will eventually be wiped out completely, and when that happens, you have no God at all, even though you did nothing to the Father or the Holy Spirit. Just like a shape. It's got a length, a width, and a depth. You can do nothing to the length and width, but you can start diminishing the depth and keep diminishing and finally get the depth down to zero, everything disappears. Right? So if you have a religion and Jesus is not part of it, you have no God. So we as people, if we lose our spirit or our soul or our body, we cease to be a human. There is a, I'm back to reading this here, there is a difference between the soul and the spirit, though it is not easy to predicate wherein they are dissimilar. The spirit appears to be the highest part of our complex being. It is that which particularly distinguishes man from the beast and that which links him to God. That's our spirit. Animals don't have that type of spirit. Even though I thought my dogs could pray at one time. You know, when the kids wouldn't fill up their water bowl, they would actually pick them up, take them out the doggy door, set them on the ground, and then look up at the sky. I don't think they were praying, though. That's supposed to be funny. The spirit is that which God formeth within us, that's in Zechariah 12.1. Therefore is he called the God of the spirits of all flesh. That's in Numbers 16.22. Listen to this really carefully. I'm going to be, uh, this is a lot of scripture here. At death, the spirit returns to God who gave it. That's Ecclesiastes 12.7. The act by which the Savior, Savior placed his spirit into the hands of the Father was an act of faith when he says, I commend, it was a blessed act designed as a precedent for all his people. The last point observable is the manner in which Christ performed this act. He uttered these words with a loud voice. Do we shy away when we're talking about our, do we not, do we whisper? Or do we talk about our Heavenly Father and our Savior Jesus with a loud voice? Not ashamed of Jesus. Think about that. He spake, uh, he spoke that all might hear and that his enemies who judged him destitute and forsaken of God might know it was not so any longer. He had said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But now at the very end, he is commending his spirit to the Father. God had come back to him. He's ready to give his spirit to him. Remember, that's where we were, full of sin, the Father had forsaken us because of the sin. Jesus took it away, which enabled the Father to come back to us. Do we commend our spirit to Him? We can do that because of what Jesus did for us. But instead, that He was dear to His Father, still, 
and could put his spirit confidently into his father's hands. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. This was the last utterance of the Savior as he expired. While he hung upon the cross, seven times his lips moved in speech. We've covered those seven things. Now here's going to break it down and see where all of these things were predicted in the prophecy. Somewhere in the Bible, somebody said these things were going to happen. Seven is, we've talked about three, we've talked about seven a lot in here. Seven is the number. Here's just more to add to what I've given you in the past. Seven is the number of completeness or perfection. At Calvary, then, as everywhere, the perfections of the Blessed One were displayed. Seven is also the number of rest in, the, in a finished work. In six days God made heaven and earth, and in the seventh he rested, contemplating with satisfaction that which he had pronounced very good. So here with Christ, a work had been given him to do, and that work was now done just as the sixth day brought forth the work of creation and reconstruction to a completion. So the, notice what the sixth other utterance was? It is finished. That was the sixth. It is finished. And just as the seventh day was the day of rest and satisfaction, so the seventh utterance of the Savior brings Him to the place of rest, the Father's hands. Isn't this, isn't this cool? So cool. Seven times the, di the dying Savior spoke. Three of his utterances, utterances concerned men. Uh, to one, he gave the promise that the man should be with him in paradise. To another, he confided his mother. Uh, to the mass of spectators, he had, he had made mention of his thirst. Three of his utterances were addressed to God. Uh, to the Father he prayed for his murderers. To God he uttered his mournful plight. And now, into the hands of the Father he commends his spirit. In the hearing of God and men, angels and devils, he, he had cried in triumph, it is finished. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit is a noteworthy, is noteworthy, and that closing cry of the Savior had been uttered by the spirit of prophecy long centuries before in the incarnation, before the incarnation. All right, here's some of the verses. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let, let me never be ashamed. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my rock, my strong rock, for an house of defense to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, Lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net that they have laid privily for me. For thou art my strength. Now David has, has said all of these things. David said, Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. That's the 31st Psalm. Psalm 31, verses 1 through 5. 
in connection with each one of the Savior's cross utterances, a prophecy was fulfilled. First he cried, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And this fulfilled Isaiah 53, verse 12, which said, made intercession for the transgressors. Second, he promised the thief, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And this was a fulfillment of the prophecy of the angel to Joseph when he said to Joseph, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's in Matthew 1, 21. Third, to his mother he said, Woman, behold thy son. And this fulfilled the prophecy of Simeon. Remember when Jesus was brought in? And Simeon was old, and he wasn't going to be able to die until he saw the Savior. And Simeon told Mary, A sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. That's in Luke 2.35. Fourth, he, he had asked, God, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And these were the identical words of Psalm 22.1. Fifth, he, ex, he exclaimed, I thirst. And this was in fulfillment of Psalm 69.21. It's also in Psalm 22. And in Psalm 69.21, it says, In my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Sixth, he shouted in triumph, it is finished. And these are almost the very words that with which that wonderful 22nd Psalm concludes, he hath done, or as the Hebrew might well be rendered, he hath finished. The context showing what he had done, namely the work of atonement. Uh, finally, he prayed, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, and as we have shown, that's in uh, um, Psalm 31. So isn't that really cool? All of the things that Christ said, somewhere else in the Bible, it was foretold. Turn to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. I would love to read all of Isaiah 53. I tell the guys at the jail on Tuesday night, I tell them, read it. Read all of it. They got some spare time. They can read. That, the prophecy in Isaiah 53. Did I say Isaiah 53? If I say something wrong, please correct me. That's Joy's job and my mom. If y'all say something wrong, don't let me continue with that. It's embarrassing when I listen to the podcast and I go, oh my gosh. Why didn't somebody stop me on that one? Okay. Psalm 22 is another very detailed prophecy. David is writing this. Isaiah 53, that's going to be 700 years before Christ is born. Well, now you go to Psalm 22, how many years? It's even more. It's probably a thousand years before Christ is even born. And all, these psalms are arranged so good. Psalm 20. It's a prayer before a battle. Psalm 21 is a praise after the battle. Psalm 21 is about what we do after the battle has been won for us, and we are to crown Him Lord of all. And when we do, He helps us through this walk, this Christian walk that we are walking on this earth. 
Um, in Psalm 21, there's three things that you could get out. Let's say you just read Psalm 21. I, I gave you an assignment. Everybody read Psalm 21, and y'all go home and you read it, and you come back and say, what did you see in it? And you might say, uh, what I saw was the triumph of David over his foes. And that would be correct. But then somebody else could say, well, I, what I saw was the triumph of Jesus over the world. And I'm like, ooh, you got a little deeper. That's true as well. And somebody else might say, the way to victory for God's people in all ages over the foes that rise against them on the journey home. And that would be a very right answer as well. So you can see that it was, you can apply it to David and what he went through. You can also see that it was a type and picture of what Jesus was going to go through and makes us, gives us uh, our directions for us to walk in this world today as we live here, along with the saints that came before us and those who come after us. So you can get all, that, all of that out of Psalm 21. Now Psalm 22 is extremely detailed. David would not have known anything about this practice called crucifixion. Wouldn't have had a clue. It was hundreds and hundreds of years before it was even thought up by an evil man of, of a good way to make executing somebody really, really bad. Men come up with... You can go back to being drawn and quartered. The Britons did. It, Man, you can, you can look up different ways of torture that man has come up with, and if you're just a normal person, it'll freak you out. It's like, how could somebody come up with these things? Like the chair of nails? If they wanted somebody to talk, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't talk, well, they would just take them into the room, strip them down, and say, all right, sit in that chair. And that chair, just all kinds of these big spikes sticking out of it, and the person would go, what did you want to know? And they'd just spill everything they had. Men come up with some evil things, and crucifixion was one of the most evil things that a man could come up with to torture somebody and to try to keep them as alive for a good while while they were in agony, hanging from the cross, almost suffocating and pushing up on the spikes that were through your feet that was excruciating pain just to get a breath and then to go back the other way to get the pain out of your feet. Bleeding, thirsting, and all of it's talked about here in Psalm 22. So I'm going to try to read through this, at least through 21. 1 through 21 is the crucifixion. Dark Calvary. Dark Calvary. But once you get past 21, you're going to see resurrection. So this could actually be a good Resurrection Sunday message, but there's so many to pick from, and I've only got a certain amount of time to get it out, so we've got to pick and choose. All right, Psalm 22, the terrible reality of Calvary. The terrible reality of Calvary. Starts right off with God separating himself from Jesus. 
But this is a thousand years before Jesus was on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? That word roaring is somebody, either an animal that was in agony and pain. Don't you hear that? Put them out of their misery. All right, two. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. God was not going to, he had turned his back on him because of the sin. Not that Jesus sinned, but he willingly allowed all of our sin to be placed on him. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. Now that, when they made the red dye to make the robes of a king, somebody who was royalty, and they, they wanted the red robe. Remember, they put the purple robe on Jesus, mocking him, put a crown of thorns on him. If he, from what I've understood, is they took the worm that was eating a certain plant that the red out of the plant would get in the worm, and you had to crush the worm to get the red dye out. And I went, whoa. So Jesus was crushed by the weight of the sin of the world. And out came the red dye for him to be able to say he was a worm. Also, we are considered worms, just, just the filth of the earth, just way down here. Uh, Adrian Rogers was talking about uh, an Indian years and years ago that uh, missionaries had gone out to the Indians out west and they were given the gospel message and this one older Indian believed on Jesus and was saved. And people asked him, what happened? What happened? How did you get saved? And he took a bunch of dry leaves and uh, had a little, little caterpillar worm and he had it down in the leaves and he set the leaves on fire. And the leaves were burning up and burning up and getting closer and closer to the worm. And he reached down with that big hand of his and he picked up that little worm and brought it out. And he said, me, worm. Verse 7. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him, let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. That sounds like I'm reading out of the Gospels. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. I mean, he was... Jesus put himself in a really, really vulnerable spot. He could have called down legions of angels to wipe everybody out, but he willingly stayed there to save our souls. Be 
There is none to help. Twelve. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. So back in that day, there was all kinds of uh, pasture lands, and the bulls were known to, if something strange came into the field, the bulls would gather up and circle around it, ready to attack, for just protecting the rest of the herd. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and, ravening and roaring lion. I think the devil was there. Remember last week? Talking about the four powers that were at the tomb. The devil was there. That, that, that roaring lion. And then 14, I am poured out like water. If you're being crucified, if you're under intense pressure like that, you're, you will profusely sweat. The water will just pour out of you. So not only are you bleeding to death, which causes thirst, but you're perspiring very heavily, which would cause thirst. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. When they dropped the cross into the hole, it jarred so hard that uh, it was very normal that bones would actually come out of joint. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. That is what ended up happening to anybody who was crucified. If they stayed there long enough, uh, down at uh, West Salem Baptist, they have a doctor that goes to that church, been a member there for many, many years. They let him do a message one, I think it was a Wednesday night, and he, it was way, I've listened to it. It was way too technical. But it, he got into all the details of what a person would go through in crucifixion. It'll blow your mind. It, to me, it was a little too detailed. He was a doctor, a real doctor, been a doctor for years, and he went through all, he had all the fancy medical names for what was happening inside of the body. But that is what would happen inside of the body. The heart would actually start to melt. My, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. That is actually what happens. I told you the story about Mark's little trail. When he finally found water, it was almost too late. And he could hardly drink anything. It took him a while to get that tongue off the roof of his mouth. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Again, one thousand years before this actually happened. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword my darling from the power of the dog, save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. So that is where God was coming back. Jesus, God's coming back around. Jesus is saying, I commend my soul into your hands. And then Jesus dies on the cross. And then you can read uh, uh, 20 
2 to the end on your own, but that's, you're going to see Jesus being resurrected. Now, victory over the tomb and over death is what gives us salvation. And then Psalm 22, 23, and 24 are, it's a group of three. It's another three. 22 is Jesus dying for us and then being resurrected, which gives us the ability to live the Christian life, which is Psalm 23, which everybody should know. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That means he provides everything. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters, just like any good shepherd would take his sheep to the still waters, knowing they would be very nervous and not able to drink out of fast-moving waters. So that's the shepherd taking care of us. All of uh, Psalm 23. And then Psalm 24 is the, the sheep coming, I mean, the shepherd coming back for his sheep, which is what we're waiting for right now as we walk this Christian walk. We are looking for our shepherd to come back again to get us. So, with that, we'll close. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. Father, we thank you for this wonderful story in the Bible. Father, all that what Jesus did for us on the cross. Father, we know that it was with us in mind that, that mankind needed a Savior. And Father, we're just so thankful for it. Father, we're so thankful that Jesus rose from the dead that he is now sitting at your right hand, interceding for us. And Father, we love him. We know that we can come directly to you at the throne of grace because of what Jesus did for us. Father, we thank you. I pray that your word has changed our minds and um, affected our hearts. And Father, we would be just a little bit more able to go out into this hurting world and to take your wonderful message to it. And Father, I pray that all of us will, with a loud voice, share the good news. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.